0: Welcome to Lethal Dose, your favorite toxicology-focused podcast where we delve into true crime cases involving drugs and poisons. My name is Venus Deneco. I'm a layperson fascinated by true crime. My name is Kayla Woods. I'm an author and toxicologist. Let's get started. Content warning for this episode, it includes police brutality and state violence. Now that we have that out of the way, Kayla is going to take us down the (laughs) K-hole. So I've heard friends of friends talk about falling into the K-hole. We're talking about ketamine, first of (laughs) all. But... I've heard, you know, the friends of friends who have done ketamine, and they go into the K-hole, and I've never talked to anybody who's actually experienced that, but my understanding of it is that they take way too much, and they're literally dead to the world for hours.
1: That's my understanding, and I'm really glad that you brought it up in this way, because I kept saying... K-hole and the articles that I was reading in preparation for this and I was like, I don't want to bring up K-hole when I've never experienced the K-hole and I just kind of sound like a narc when I talk about it. I do actually, I was friends and neighbors with a guy who was a former heroin addict and he was doing everything else other than heroin. To each their own, I suppose. But he did ketamine and he had the craziest stories about ending up in the K-hole. He was a sweet guy, but he had some crazy stories.
0: Did he describe it as traumatic?
1: He didn't describe it as traumatic. Now, the doctor and I, when we talk about this old neighbor, we say, so I was talking to my Buddha head the other day when I was on ketamine.
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) The way that I had always heard it, it was almost like one of those scared straight kind of things, like, you Uh, never want to do ketamine because you'll go down the K-hole and you
1: might not come back. And I could see that for sure. I just think that maybe this person had a a greater tolerance or didn't take as much, but yeah, Mm. you could totally end up down the K-hole. It seems like it would be traumatic because it's such an intense hallucinogen and it can cause psychoses it can cause a psychotic episodes similar to schizophrenia so it does not sound like a good time
0: it falls into that category of if somebody has like a, a bad acid trip or a bad mushroom trip like you can have a bad
1: trip yeah i think it's dose dependent probably but we can get into it
0: okay well take us down the k-hole kayla
1: <laughs> so As traumatic as the K-hole is, we are actually going to be discussing a different kind of trauma surrounding ketamine. James C. Britt Jr. was 50 years old in 2019. He had a young son named Landon with his wife Tabitha, and he worked as a travel lift operator at the Date Yance shipyard in Charleston, South Carolina. On September 30th, 2019, around 7 p.m., Britt found himself on the side of the road near the entrance to Snee Farm in Mount Pleasant. He was attempting to change a flat tire on his car which was made more difficult because brit was unfortunately drunk he had been reported urinating in public while his car was disabled and a police officer answered the call she noted that brit was drunk and should therefore not have been operating a vehicle but he also wasn't at the time Britt was wearing shorts and no shirt and was sweating profusely but he did allow her to help him find the missing piece of his jack and allowed her to convince him to call a tow truck to come get his disabled car It seemed like perhaps the whole ordeal could have ended there without significant repercussion, but of course, we're talking about it, and so it clearly didn't. Another officer was called to the scene and arrived approximately 15 minutes after the first. This officer administered a sobriety test and found that Britt's blood alcohol level was three times over the legal limit for operating a vehicle. The second officer placed Britt under arrest for public intoxication and attempted to handcuff him, but Britt initially resisted. The handcuffs were then placed on Britt and he was told he would be charged with resisting arrest. By now, Britt was on the ground with his hands cuffed behind his back and he was requesting to be lifted up to standing by the officers, of which there were now several who had come as backup. During the time that Britt was on the ground, he repeatedly told the officers that he couldn't breathe and he wanted to be moved. He also said that he wouldn't hurt anyone, which he doubtfully would have been able to because he was being overpowered by several officers, and he had his hands completely behind his back, and he was placed in leg shackles at this time. Also, his breathing was becoming guttural and labored as he lay on his chest, and for context, Britt was about 6'3 and 300 pounds.
0: He's a big dude.
1: He was a big guy, and he did have a lot of weight on his chest as a result of that, and his hands were behind his back. Still, paramedics were then called to the scene. When they arrived, they administered ketamine via syringe. Only afterwards did the paramedics ask if Britt was allergic to anything or on any medication. The last thing he ever said was that he took lisinopril for high blood pressure. Within minutes of being given ketamine, Britt was brain dead. EMS had to perform CPR as soon as the stretcher he was rolled onto was moved into the ambulance because he had gone into cardiac arrest, and they continued to perform CPR as they drove to the East Cooper Medical Center. For 16 days, Britt remained on a ventilator until his wife made the difficult decision to remove his life support at 3.28 p.m. on October 16, 2019. Britt was not alone. Between 2007 and 2020, Charleston County EMS administered ketamine 515 times. It was also one of 11,291 individuals who was administered ketamine in 2019 in a pre-hospital setting, according to a study reported by the leading data and software company serving emergency medical services in the United States, ESO.
0: That is so many fucking people. Yeah. I did some quick math, and that's around 30 people a day. Mm-hmm. That were given ketamine in these situations because when you say pre-hospital setting that means this is not a part of a medical treatment right yeah this is out in the world yeah
1: it's always pre-hospital because whenever ketamine is administered you basically have to be taken to the hospital you can't take a criminal suspect to jail after administering ketamine so it's always pre-hospital
0: So not only are they giving people this crazy tranquilizer, but they're also taking resources from medical settings Mm -hmm. anytime they do this. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm not an expert, but that seems like a lot of people that Mm -hmm. they're just doing this with willy-nilly.
1: I will take the results from this report with a grain of salt. It is peer-reviewed and all of that, but they are the data and software company for emergency medical services, and so I will take what they say with a grain of salt because they continue on that... Only about 5% of individuals who administered ketamine ultimately died, and only 0.3% of deaths could ketamine administration not be worked out as the cause of death. Not everyone who is given ketamine will end up with the toxic effects of ketamine listed on their death certificate, which is a point I want to make, regarding that 0.3% number. And sometimes because of the delayed death circumstances, it won't be listed. And not everybody who lives through ketamine administration is okay afterwards. So even if all 11,000 people were to survive, it doesn't mean that they don't end up with long-term effects.
0: Yeah, well, and even still, like what you said about the delayed death or the delayed issues, those deaths aren't being chalked up to it. And that data seems really important to me. But even if it is 5%, and let's say that that EMS report is accurate, when it's given to that many people, like 11,000, that's like 500 people who died.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's a lot of people who died because they needed to be tranquilized, quote unquote, quote unquote, sorry, air quotes.
1: But regarding the people who do survive and who do not die, we know that they suffer long-term effects or that they suffer severe effects after administration because we can look at the case of Elijah McKnight, who was a 25-year-old who had an interaction with the Arapahoe County Sheriff's deputies in Colorado in August of 2019 while he was also drunk. McKnight was sleeping on the ground when he was awoken by police by a sternal rub, after which police stated that he became combative. He was tased, handcuffed face down, and then given ketamine by EMS. Now, McKnight is a much smaller person than Britt was. McKnight was only about 210 pounds. And yet, he was given two doses of ketamine that together equaled 750 milligrams, which would be approximately the amount that you would need for a 330-pound patient. (laughs) McKnight became apneic, and at one point he stopped breathing and had to be placed on a ventilator.
0: Holy shit. And what is
1: apneic? So, like, when you have sleep apnea and you have that kind of, like, Mm. guttural and, like, your soft (laughs) palate. Yeah. McKnight was in the hospital for a week and a half, the first three days for which he was completely unconscious in the ICU. Well,
0: in question, when you have these people that they have to go to the hospital Mm -hmm. instead of jail after they've had ketamine administered to them... So now he's unconscious. Is this a situation where they're handcuffed to a hospital bed?
1: I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the handcuffs come off at any point. If they get handcuffed to the hospital bed, I'm not sure. Either way, not okay. Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment reported that in Colorado alone in 2019, ketamine was administered in a pre-hospital setting 457 times and caused complications in 24% of patients, which is higher than the national average reported by the ESO report that we were just talking about.
0: That's a lot higher.
1: That's Mm -hmm. like five times
0: higher, Mm -hmm. roughly, and that's very concerning because... If a quarter of the time you have problems like this, maybe we need to try something else. I don't know. That's just my amateur idea here, but it seems like that's not great statistics.
1: No, I agree. I don't think those are very good statistics at all. So what is ketamine? Ketamine is a structural analog of PCP that was first synthesized by a chemist named Calvin Stevens in 1962
0: is this like angel dust pcp yeah okay so they're in the same family
1: yeah that's mm. why the k-hole can get so bad is because it's such an intense dissociative got it okay so the reason that stevens was looking for an analog is because pcp had been used since the 1950s as a general anesthetic for monkeys and lab surgeries Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay and was used as a surgical anesthetic an analgesic in humans starting in 1963, but it was quickly discontinued because there was a 10 to 30% chance of post operative psychoses and dysphoria.
0: Those are problematic.
1: Right. Well, and it's like you just <laughs> said, where they're like, oh, there's a 10 to 30% chance you might have psychoses. And we're talking there's a 24% chance that there might be complications.
0: I mean, they took that number and said this was <laughs> enough for us to discontinue this yeah. and find another answer. Okay.
1: Got it. (laughs) And I think that the tendency towards psychosis and possibly dysphoria, I don't know how that's displayed in monkeys, but I think these side effects were probably seen in the lab monkeys before they were introduced to humans, which is why we started using it in humans for surgeries in 1963. But in 1962, we had already been looking for an analog. And so by 1967, PCP was limited to veterinary medicine, and in 1970, ketamine was finally introduced to clinical human practice. In fact, ketamine was the most common battlefield anesthetic during the Vietnam War. Oh, interesting. It was originally called CI581 and had 5 to 10% the potency of PCP and also caused less severe dysphoria and hallucinations, which is good, but it's Mm -hmm. still not great. It's It's
0: still causing hallucinations. They're just less severe. Maybe there's some shifting in the walls instead of something actually coming out of the walls and chasing you.
1: And people knew this and so they knew that you could get this crazy trip from it and so it was starting to be used recreationally. But we also knew that it could be used as an analgesic, we knew it could be used as an alternative to opioids because it binds to the mu opioid receptor, it can be used as a sedative. And some people may have begun self-medicating with ketamine for certain psychological disorders like depression and PTSD because ketamine has been found to be useful in a physician setting for this. Got it. Because I
0: have heard in the last few years about ketamine being used in mm-hmm. therapeutic situations. But it's one of those things where the dose makes the poison.
1: When you use it for surgery, obviously, an anesthesiologist is present. But when you use it for psychological disorders, an anesthesiologist also has to be present because it's such intense stuff.
0: Right. And that's and that's the important thing is that you're being overseen by professionals instead of when you're self-medicating and you're at home and you're like, Dee yeah, I mean, I'm a doctor, right? Like, (laughs) let's go for this. And then like, oh, yeah, no, now I'm in the K-hole for 12 hours and can't get out. Yeah. So it makes sense.
1: So because of the recreational abuse of ketamine in the 1980s, ketamine was classified as a Schedule 3 substance in the U.S.,
0: and Schedule 3, is that the higher one or is Schedule 1 the bad one? I can't remember the ranking order.
1: Yeah. Schedule 1 is the is the worst one. So I think like Schedule 1 is like heroin. Schedule okay. 3 is a DEA classification when they believe that drugs can still lead to abuse or addiction, but they're less dangerous than Schedule 1 and 2. And you can still purchase Schedule 3 drugs at a pharmacy with a prescription, but you can't find them over the counter. Got it. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. So recreational use is not common, according to some of the other articles I was able to find about recreational abuse and about deaths from recreational use of ketamine. It's not common. It has been gaining popularity since 2017 for whatever reason. And it's also just not encouraged. I think maybe among drug users it's not encouraged because, I don't know, maybe hallucinogens aren't super popular in some areas. The article I was mostly focusing on was from the UK and Scotland, so it could have been like a regional thing too. But it just seems like because you can end up in the K hole, you shouldn't take it if you have schizophrenia or if you are already experiencing anxiety. It's weird because you can either treat those things or make those things way worse. Well,
0: and it's about having a professional help you find that right Mm -hmm. dosage.
1: Mm -hmm. And it can be dangerous too because if you take Too much, or if it interacts with your body in a way that's adverse, you can end up with severe pelvic pain, hyperthermia, heart palpitations, chest pains, respiratory depression, heart attacks, seizures, and you can go into a coma.
0: Those are all pretty heavy-duty problems. So do we know how often the hallucinations occur? Like, does it take a super small amount? Is it almost always going to happen? Or is it just on those really high doses?
1: I think it's just on the higher doses because the lower doses can be used for local anesthesia. And then it seems like it depends on if you're doing it via IV or if you're taking Mm, it. Like the route of... Route of administration. Yeah. I think that for recreational route of administration, you're usually taking it as a pill. Maybe you're snuffing it, and you're not usually doing it via IV. So Mm -hmm. if you're doing a sub anesthetic dose via IV, you can still end up with dissociative and schizotypical symptoms. Again, it depends. I don't think that you're gonna run into it as quickly taking it by mouth or snuffing it through your nose, but I did read that when it is administered for medical purposes, like you're going under for a surgery or Something, or even if EMS arrive and you're in a bad car accident and you have burns or something, and they want to sedate you for that oh, reason, okay, they'll administer it at the coroner's office. I saw ketamine all the time in mm-hmm. antimortem blood. Because it was administered in the hospital. And so mm. for accidents and for surgeries. And so whether it's administered intramuscularly or via IV, you end up going through the dissociative to get to that heavily sedated place, you can go through the dissociative state. So you can go through it and like hallucinate and then be sedated. And then
0: end up Yeah. Oh, that it's, does not sound like a good it, time. It
1: doesn't sound like a fun
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound like my party drug of choice, but in also like with the other things that you mentioned, like the respiratory depression, Mm -hmm. seizure, heart attack, coma, all of these things are screaming to me, why are we using this to sedate people just willy nilly?
1: So we're using it to sedate people because it acts quickly to sedate people, and it's generally considered safe. From the time that it was used in Vietnam up through fairly recently, it was generally considered safe.
0: I mean, but some of those numbers don't sound safe to me.
1: That's the thing is that I was reading these articles, and they were saying, we did randomized clinical trials, and you can compare the use of ketamine with the use of haloperidol and midazolam in emergency department type settings. And it's interesting that those are the compared drugs that you might want to sedate somebody with Mm -hmm. because to avoid some of the adverse effects of ketamine, you would administer haloperidol or midazolam or lorazepam, something like that. You would administer a benzodiazepine. You can't (laughs) administer them together because it creates a precipitate in the IV bag. So, you, you know, two injections, one of each. And so it's like there's this drug that acts quickly, but if you start to see it and you catch it, Quickly also, if you're just right. attentive the whole time, then you have to administer the drugs that you you didn't want you to didn't administer. didn't use in the first place. And it's just because it supposedly acts so much quickly on the system, but because it acts so much more quickly to sedate, it seems like it acts more quickly to have the adverse effects present themselves
0: that makes exact sense and it's one of those things where if somebody's having a heart attack if somebody like they can't breathe anymore Mm -hmm. by the time you're realizing that you don't have long to act because it all happened so fast and then you're like oh fuck what do we do
1: Mm -hmm.
0: like oh well we get them to the hospital and they might die on the way over or they might be brain dead by there or they might be Mm -hmm. unconscious for 16 days
1: (sighs) And I was just seeing all these professionals who were being quoted in news articles saying it doesn't cause respiratory depression. It very rarely causes cardiac arrest, but it does cause respiratory depression. That is a known side effect, that it causes respiratory depression. So some of the effects, in general, you get the sedation and the impaired consciousness. You can end up with double vision, and so that's something that they can test for. But if somebody is already drunk, they don't necessarily know, and so now you have these drug complications. And in some of these clinical trials that they've done to compare the effectiveness of ketamine to haloperidol or whatever, they'll actually take out the patients who experienced complications because they were on other drugs. And it's like, okay, why was it administered in the first place? Because ketamine should never be administered when drugs are on board. It should never be administered when somebody has psychosis in their history. Mm -hmm. It should never be administered when somebody is on SSRIs. It should never be administered if they're on other recreational drugs like LSD or cocaine. There are so many situations where it should not be used, and yet it's the go to. And then for these clinical trials, we're saying, well, we didn't look at these because it shouldn't be used here, and we don't know how to read the complications. And it's like, the that's world, the whole point. <laughs> the world is messy and chaotic, and you can't yeah. just have this singular go to if that's gonna be the outcome.
0: Right, because if somebody is acting a fool, Mm -hmm. let's say, they are being out of control and they do need to be sedated, they're not getting a health history from this person. Mm -hmm. They have no idea if they're having a mental health crisis, if they're drunk if they're Mm -hmm. on drugs, the nature in their using it is the problem.
1: Yeah, well, and like when you administer midazolam, for instance, to sedate somebody in a psychiatric setting or in the ER, you administer five milligrams, that's it, you get five milligrams. But when you administer ketamine, the rule of thumb is five milligrams per kilogram body weight and you don't know how much some of these people weigh. And so then you end up with the overdose symptoms which are respiratory depression, seizures, coma. And it's like, this is well documented. We know that these are the side effects and we we know just like with any other anesthetic drug that we need to know how much is going into the body. That's why right. anesthesiologists gets paid big bucks because they do such a dangerous job.
0: They do, like they're literally keeping you barely alive. <laughs> like and it's it, it, that's why it's important and that's why I don't understand how we got to where this is the preferred method. Venus, fun facts, I have a psychiatric history and have been hospitalized before and I've had to be sedated and it was haloperidol. Mm -hmm. That worked just fine for the purpose that it needed to serve. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me like it is a safer bet on the whole and it doesn't have as wild side effects, these deadly side effects. And it's one of those things where it's like, in my experience, it worked very quickly. So that's <laughs> right. why I don't understand like this whole, we like the ketamine because it acts faster. Because I mean, I do understand that when there are dangerous situations, every second matters. Mm-hmm. I, I want to appreciate that. However... If the chances are like somebody died because it was going to take a few minutes longer for them to be sedated, to me, that risk is not worth the reward, quote unquote. Right. I don't think it's, but you know what I'm saying.
1: It seems to me to just be police officers being lazy and emergency service personnel just being lazy and wanting it to work fast rather than work safe. That's the impression I get. Yeah. And the whole reason that ketamine is used and ketamine is brought to the scene is because police officers and organizations that support the same point of view want to address excited delirium. And so that's what was cited in the case of James Britt and Elijah McKnight is that there was excited delirium happening. This is a definition that's used by the American College of Emergency Physicians, but it's not listed in the DSM. It's not recognized by the American Psychiatric Association. It's not recognized by the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, or the World Health Organization. So there's all of these organizations who don't believe that excited delirium is actually a thing, but cops are using it to say, we need to be able to attend to people who are in excited delirium. And I've seen a lot of points that are like, sure, people can be excited, but they can be excited because they're drunk and you shouldn't Mm -hmm. administer ketamine. They can be excited because they're experiencing heat stroke Mm. or they Mm -hmm. have some other psychological illness going on that we've already covered. And administering ketamine is not the answer to that. And also, most of the cases that I have seen when it's administered, the person who they're administering it to is already on their stomach with their hands handcuffed behind their back. And they say like, oh, we want it to be safe for the emergency personnel and we want it to be safe for the suspect. We don't want them to hit their head against the ground. But I've seen people pinned down to the ground, so they're already physically restrained. And then they get a chemical restraint that if you can easily jab somebody or if you can easily administer an IV so that you can safely give ketamine and then back it up with midazolam for safety, they're being so sedate already that they don't need to be chemically sedated.
0: Exactly. Why are we pumping drugs into people when, like you said, they're already in cuffs? They're already... Restrained. Like why are we adding to it? It's overkill, essentially. It really does sound like a we want to because we can. It's been like over a decade ago now for most of my episodes. And so back then those were the preferred were haloperidol at all and of it's just so weird to me hearing that this is so common. Mm-hmm now like i had no idea
1: it was around 2011 when ketamine was becoming more popular for pre-hospital settings so it would have been just after your experiences
0: i i understand the purpose of chemical restraint like when something's happening but you don't know what's going on and you don't know somebody's history and so why are we doing this like Mm
1: -hmm.
0: when they're already (laughs) incapacitated if you can safely put a needle in them And not worry about getting stuck with it yourself the situation is probably under control enough
1: right so in july of 2020 the american society of anesthesiologists actually released a statement and their statement was the group quote firmly opposes the use of ketamine or any other sedative slash hypnotic agent to chemically incapacitate somebody someone for a law enforcement purpose and not for a legitimate medical reason Ketamine is a potent analgesic, sedative, and general anesthetic agent which can elevate blood pressure and heart rate and can lead to confusion, agitation, delirium, and hallucinations. These effects can end in death when administered in a non healthcare setting without appropriately trained medical personnel and necessary equipment. End quote. And even the paramedic who was involved in Britt's death and administered the ketamine is now saying that Britt needlessly died. He quit being a paramedic. He quit. His career as a paramedic is over because of his experience. And I think that reading the statement that he made to the Post and Courier in South Carolina, I think that because ketamine has a history as a party drug, it's not taken as seriously or it wasn't taken as seriously prior to 2019 or so Mm. by EMS. Because the paramedic, when he was about to administer it to Britt, Britt asked, what is that? And the paramedic said it's a little medicine to make you have a good time. And mm. then, and then they asked him if he was allergic to it or on anything. So proper <laughs> protocol doesn't seem like it was followed because it's just—it's sexy. It's ketamine. You're gonna feel you're gonna fine. Have you're fine. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna go on a little
0: trip. You're gonna ride the spaceship. Okay. And why are we asking about what he's been on after the fact?
1: Exactly. There's just a carelessness that was taken with ketamine because. I don't even know why. I mean, it seems like it was so dangerous. Like, this guy should have known that he would have had to follow it up with midazolam, and he would have had to follow it up, you know, with a ventilator, possibly. But he went on to say that this was only the second time that he'd ever administered ketamine, and it resulted in somebody's death.
0: Yeah, that's not a good batting average. No, no. And so this is, like, how we're going to combat the excited delirium. Mm -hmm. If you are delirious, how are you going to answer questions about your health history? Yeah. Even if he could answer, or Mm -hmm. let's say they asked before they administered it, if somebody is going to tell you what heart medication they're on, Mm -hmm.
1: maybe they don't need sedated. That's the thing, and that's what McKnight brought up. McKnight brought up that he was answering questions and he was being calm, and he was still given two doses. And so it's kind of like if somebody is combative and you give them a hallucinogen and nothing happens in a couple of minutes, it could be that they will become more combative because they're going to be agitated, because that's what ketamine does, and you don't need to give them a second dose. Like you gave them this thing that's going to worsen whatever it is that you're diagnosing outside of a medical setting, and then make it potentially lethal by giving them a second dose.
0: Exactly. Like if somebody's that hysteric, because this, the term, every time I hear it, it reminds me of female hysteria. Yeah. That's the vibe that I get with it. Mm -hmm. And so even if it is, he's not drunk, so we don't have to worry about that. He's not on drugs. Like even if it is just a mental health crisis, in my situation, I was psychotic. I was having a full on psychotic episode. Mm hmm. Why the hell would you want to give somebody something that's going to worsen the psychosis? Yeah. To me, it sounds counterintuitive. And so, yeah, maybe if Elijah McKnight was having an episode and then that happened, yeah, it could be worse. But let's not double down yeah. and just keep pumping them full of drought. Like, yeah. the fuck? Mm-hmm. I, know I have so many problems with this.
1: And another problem is that ketamine is not approved for use by the FDA, which is a loaded thing to say. (laughs) It's a really loaded thing to say right now because it's not not approved for use in pre-hospital settings. As a general anesthetic, which has been used for since approximately the 1960s, it is approved. But in pre-hospital settings, it's not approved.
0: So for this type of use.
1: Yeah. And I know that that's loaded because we're currently in a in a position where the vaccine that I got months ago and that you got months ago has just gotten FDA approval because it was an emergency and it's a pandemic, blah, blah, blah. There are so many things that aren't FDA approved, though, so it's... But midazolam isn't approved in an emergency or pre-hospital setting for the sedation of patients, and that has clearly had a longer lifetime of being used that way, but it doesn't have FDA approval. And I don't know if that's because it's an off-label use or if Mm. it's because the AMA or the APA or whoever doesn't want to support chemical sedation, which I totally get if they don't want to support chemical restraint. Like, I'm not on board with that. There's a lot of controversy around it, even if you don't take these numbers that you can't even pin down for people who have been administered it and who have died as a result. So after Britt's death in South Carolina... They, they looked at their laws. In 2016 in South Carolina, emergency medical service personnel were authorized to administer the drug to a patient that met diagnostic criteria under a standing statewide order. But this order and this protocol varied across the 260 EMS services throughout South Carolina. And no. so even if your state is saying, like, we're going to do it this way, they can all do it a different way. It's really fucked up how it's used. It's really fucked up how it's regulated. And South Carolina is not the only place where it's a problem, clearly.
0: Obviously. And the other thing, too, is to me, it's like other than law enforcement, anesthesiologists probably have the most experience with it. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, don't do this. Yeah. Maybe we should listen.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we are listening, but it's taking the deaths of people. And it's taking us fighting against the people who make the laws to actually change it so that these things don't continue to happen and that we have more of a regulated system for who can use it and how they can use it. It's still such a mess right now.
0: When the reason is the excited delirium but we can't even talk about what that is. Yeah. That's a giant problem right in the beginning like why why is this why? Because it just does not make sense to me on paper. Like, it, it just really doesn't in yeah. any way, shape, or form. When there are safer alternatives that we could be using. So, like, let's assume that we want to chemically restrain people who are excited mm-hmm. and delirious. Like, let's assume that. Why not use something that's proven to be safer? Yeah. Or why not have a consistent standard for why we use it just across the board like the fact that in one state it's done all of those different ways that's not okay guys
1: yeah Yeah.
0: so where do we go from here are they admitting to fault for Britt's death
1: is the city admitting to fault Mm mm-hmm So, the state law enforcement division of South Carolina and the attorney general's office conducted a year-long investigation into his death and concluded that the officers involved should not face criminal charges, despite the fact that the coroner in Britt's case listed his cause of death as homicide as a result of restraint asphyxia and toxic effects of ketamine, which at least one of the police officers on scene was trained in and which the EMS who reported to the scene should also have been trained in. The slight investigation supported the town's positions that officers acted legally professionally and appropriate mount pleasant was pleased that this matter along with the civil case handled by their insurance carrier was now resolved (laughs) Britt's family received a three million dollar wrongful death settlement with the town of mount pleasant in september of 2020 but town officials still say that the case was being handled by their insurance carrier and the council did not approve the settlement typical So now, South Carolina legislation is working to pass a bill at the state level that would make it a misdemeanor for paramedics or law enforcement officers to inject ketamine into a criminal suspect for the purposes of sedation, and anyone found guilty of breaking this law could get up to three years in prison.
0: Okay, so that's movement. Mm Mm-hmm. That's movement.
1: And the push to discourage ketamine's use by EMS has become a national movement following other similar deaths. The National Association of EMS Physicians released a new statement in October of 2020 that said, quote, Although EMS practitioners work closely in the field with co-responders and frequently assist or are assisted by law enforcement officers, EMS practitioners must not administer sedating medications to an individual to facilitate arrest or to assist law enforcement to take the individual into custody. Which I think should be a no-brainer. I don't know why EMS and law enforcement are working like they have the same goals in mind because I don't think that they do. Law enforcement wants to take people into custody, and emergency medical services are there to provide emergency medical services.
0: Right. And to me, I do feel that there should be mental health responders. Totally. That's one thing that I think would be a huge help. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It just seems like we're pulling resources for unnecessary things. Defund the police. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, and get better training for EMS. So on that note, though, Colorado also passed a new law in July of this year, 2021, regarding ketamine that adds new requirements on when a paramedic can administer ketamine outside of a hospital, and that is they must try to get a verbal order from a medical supervisor. They must get an accurate estimation of the patient's weight to ensure proper dosage, and equipment must be on site to monitor their vital signs and provide urgent transport to a hospital why weren't we doing that to begin with great
0: question and to me it's also like okay let's say that we want to do all of these things i like the idea that these are a lot more hoops that Mm -hmm. they have to jump through Mm -hmm. in order for this to be the course of action so in my mind i would imagine that that's somewhat of a deterrent Mm -hmm. in using it but also like that sounds like a pain in the dick to do. (laughs) And so that's, again, where maybe we need a better option. Because if for ketamine, we have to go through all of this, like, if it's an emergency situation, and Mm -hmm. I need to get a medical supervisor.
1: Yeah, I think it also makes you think or makes the people responding think, is this a medical emergency? Or is this just cops trying to get me to sedate somebody because they're being lazy? Because part of the reason for this is that, cops were pressuring EMS, they would call ahead of time and say, we need EMS and you better bring the ketamine. Right. And so this is going to put a bar on that where they're like, you can't tell me to bring ketamine until I think that we need it. And then I call my supervisor and the supervisor says that we mm-hmm. need it. Like, But yeah, I mean, it, it's going to put so many steps in the way of administering ketamine that hopefully we just don't see chemical restraint at all because what, what are you doing?
0: I know. That's like, for me, if we really are going through all of these steps and then Mm. that's still the best option then yeah maybe like maybe there are instances where big maybe big maybe (laughs) big maybe first of all yeah maybe there are situations where it would be helpful but maybe ketamine is not the way to go right like Did you guys hear that thunder?
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, did that get caught on the on the recording? Yeah,
0: if you heard the thunder, it's raining in Colorado,
1: (laughs) and it's on both our tracks, so I can't get that out.
0: You're welcome. Uh, Just I hope that that would be enough. This is good news, like. mm -hmm. And maybe it'll put a wedge between EMS and police. Like maybe there'll be some infighting now.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there are other people like McKnight, Elijah McKnight, who believe that an all out Needs to be placed on ketamine because he doesn't believe that this law is enough.
0: I'll sign that petition.
1: Right. (laughs) And prior to this, kind of like in South Carolina, how like there were restrictions, there were restrictions in Colorado when he was given a double injection of ketamine.
0: Oh. (laughs) <laughs> okay, tell, tell me more.
1: Well, Colorado had to have waivers where every agency got a waiver that they signed and were like, we agree to use ketamine. I couldn't find a whole lot of information on the waivers prior to this year because in April of this year, April 2021, 92 agencies had waivers from the state for their paramedics to use ketamine. And that was up from 74 in 2017. So even despite all of the, the stuff that's been going on and the laws changing, it's gone up. But they were scattered. So like the Denver Health Paramedic Division, the Colorado Springs Fire Department, Northeast Teller County Fire District, they all had waivers. So many of them had waivers. And Aurora Fire had a waiver when they killed a black man in August of 2020 by administering far too much ketamine. So like clearly these waivers, even though you have to report your ketamine use and all this, it wasn't, it It wasn't wasn't enough. enough. (laughs) Jinx. And so in 2021, they decided to review their waivers because Mm -hmm. of the the national push to stop using ketamine and to make it harder to use. They have restricted their waivers. And so that's all the information I could find is the waiver review system is still under review and we're going to fix it. And they said that they would have a report back to the people by July of this year. We're currently reporting in August and we, we have no word on where we are with the waivers at all.
0: Okay. Well, I mean... I'd prefer progress quicker. Mm -hmm. There's conversations being had, and they're listening somewhat. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It still doesn't seem like enough.
1: No. No, it's not enough. And, you know, it's not enough for Elijah McKnight, who is currently facing two counts of assaulting a police officer, which is a felony charge, two counts of obstructing a police officer, which is a misdemeanor. And he claims that these counts contradict the video available on the police body cams that I couldn't find, but I don't right. doubt that. Like, I've they... seen enough
0: yeah. enough of what the police are capable of in my lifetime mm-hmm. to, and personally and just through media. like,
1: Yeah. I don't doubt
0: it. Right. I don't doubt it.
1: McKnight also asserts that the Arapahoe County Sheriff's deputies and the EMS personnel used excessive and non- unnecessary force in violation of his Fourth Amendment rights. McKnight repeatedly told officers that he was trying to comply, to get off his legs, that his legs were in pain, and he was worried they were going to break his legs. So now... Listeners may be confused while listening to this story and you hear Brit and that's all fine, but then you hear Elijah McKnight and you think to yourself, didn't I hear a story out of Colorado around that time with a person named Elijah Mcsomething? I thought he died. And listener, you are correct. A major case which received national attention was that of Elijah McLean, a 23-year-old black man who was restrained by the Aurora police, given 500 milligrams of ketamine by the Aurora Fire Department, and then became brain dead. Much of the purse for ketamine reform, I believe, is highly influenced by McClain's death, which was picked up by Black Lives Matter and then given a more national platform. However, we have chosen specifically not to profile McClain's death because his mother, Shanine, has been very vocal about the coverage her son's death has received in the last two years. On a GoFundMe page started for the McLean family, but not by the McLean family, Shanine has asked explicitly for people to stop bringing up her son's death. She and her family are active in the ketamine reform happening in Colorado and nationally, but there has been art made, profiles discussed, and vigils held for Elijah McLean's honor without the approval of family, and often they feel only for profit and not out of respect for them and their loss. I emailed Shanaan a couple of months ago for permission to discuss Elijah's death because he was important. It happened in my state, Mm -hmm. it happened in the town I grew up in actually, and his death did catalyze reform for ketamine use, but we never received a response from her, which is fine. Out of respect for the family, we are now only mentioning him and his case briefly. If you have somehow not heard of Elijah McLean, there are a number of resources available to you online, especially right now, because of the suspension of ketamine waivers happening in Colorado, and because this week, the week that we are recording, is the two-year anniversary of Elijah's passing. There is information out there, but we have chosen not to detail it in full. So, is there anything that
0: can be done if someone is given too much ketamine, or they take too much ketamine? Or is it really just a situation of if you have too much in your system, you might need to be put on a ventilator, Mm -hmm. and that's all that can be done?
1: There's not like an antidote for ketamine. Ketamine's main action site is a non-competitive antagonist of a glutamate receptor. Although it acts on a bunch of receptors, which is probably the reason that there's not a specific antidote for it. Mm. It acts as an antagonist at the muscarinic and nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, which we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. It -hmm. blocks sodium and potassium channels. It activates dopamine receptors. It facilitates GABA inhibition. So GABA is an inhibitor, and so you're less inhibited because that's inhibited. Mm. So you're just like, woo. I'm, I'm
0: hallucinating and everything's crazy. Well, yeah, that's that's quite a busy bee. It's mm-hmm. acting on a lot of
1: fronts. And it increases norepinephrine, dopamine, and serotonin in the brain. The catecholamines. Yes, exactly, exactly. And ketamine should not be used when there is a depletion of catecholamines, as in like a high-stress situation, like when you're being arrested. Uh- <laughs> But it should also not be used in a situation where somebody naturally has a depletion of catecholamines like schizophrenia, depression Mm -hmm. or PTSD. Although, I mean, we've talked about how ketamine is a weird drug and it can be used to treat those, but typically it should not be used for that because it can lead to cardiac arrest. So if you do end up with somebody who has taken too much ketamine or is experiencing the negative side effects of ketamine. It does actually say in this article that I found that physical restraint should only be used temporarily, right? Oh my God. If somebody is like freaking out and having a seizure. And so it's like they're always physically restrained when you are chemically restraining them and just, just, why? just stop. Why? Yeah. But, but it goes on to say that they might need an ice water bath to reduce their body temperature to avoid organ injury. They will need it to be put on a fluid line. So if they're sweating because of hyperthermia. And then they will need those benzodiazepines to be administered as well. Not that any like m- medical personnel is going to be getting information from this podcast <laughs> and acting on it solely, but <laughs> you can't put them in the same bag. You can't have your ketamine and your benzos in the same bag because they create a precipitate.
0: What does that mean? What is a precipitate? Is it like an oil and water? Kind of thing, because that's what I picture in my head. It
1: it kind of is. There's a joke in chemistry, and I might be the only one that finds this funny, but if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the precipitate. Uh, (laughs) When you uh, mix two things together, you can get these, they're not necessarily crystals and they're not solids, but something will fall out of solution essentially. So you'll put two things together, and then you'll get this like cloud, is usually what it looks like. We're like, okay, what is that? And the cloud is the precipitate. Got it. And it can't be injected into the body.
0: That joke is kind of funny. (laughs) It's
1: it's funny. Thank you. If ketamine is ingested, so if somebody is taking it recreationally and they take a pill of ketamine and you're like, oh, no, things are going south, activated charcoal can be used to do gastrointestinal decontamination. Or you might need to have gastric lavage. So it's usually just you just got to purge it out of the system and you got to administer fluids until it passes.
0: There are a couple of new things that I haven't heard thus far. Yes. What is gastric lavage? Lavage? (laughs)
1: Lavage? I think I said lavage, but now all I can think is lavage. Lavage.
0: Lavage. (laughs) What is gastric
1: lavage? (laughs) That's when you have your stomach pumped. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. But it really seems like if you are on a ventilator, right, if you are being overseen by... A physician or if you've taken it orally and the route of administration is making it so that you're not going into the respiratory depression and the cardiac arrest but you are experiencing the negative effects of ketamine ketamine itself does not tend to cause lethally toxic effects and the LD54 ketamine has been shown to be pretty high but it depends on the route of administration but most of the deaths associated with ketamine, especially recreational ketamine, are because of accidents that happen with ketamine. Somebody drowns. Somebody jumps off a bridge. Oh. Somebody falls off something. Got yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Does that end up
0: being a p- documented as cause of death? Because it's like, no, they fell the fuck off a bridge.
1: In my like... experience, it would probably be cause of death is accident, falling off of bridge in the presence of ketamine intoxication. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Any other noteworthy things that you want to bring up?
1: I mentioned earlier that the EMTs and the EMS personnel aren't always necessarily trained, and that would be a weird thing to say and then not bring up again. So there was a Minnesota whistleblower whose name was Baker, and he came forward after there were investigations done in Minnesota and said that some of his colleagues he found falsified credentials, which he said threatened public safety. He said that they hadn't taken refresher courses. They didn't have proper certificates to be EMTs. and he, Just the EMTs, period? It seemed like it, and especially not to administer ketamine. And all of this was just being swept under the rug by the superiors, which, of course, the, the city that he was in claimed that Baker was lying and that no training records were ever falsified and that he was just coming after the city because he had been... He's a sore loser. He had been punished. He had been punished in some way. But he said that he was punished for something related to ketamine. And then the the city was like, no, 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 you were never punished for being insubordinate and not administering it when a cop asked you to. And he was like, actually, I was. And so there's this whole thing where he's like, cops are telling EMTs that they have to have ketamine on hand. They're pressuring them to administer it. And then the EMTs aren't properly trained. And it seems like he wants to say that they aren't properly trained because they want to just keep being able to work with police and do whatever and administer ketamine. This is specific to Minnesota, but I would say that even if it's not common elsewhere, it doesn't mean that it's not happening elsewhere. And certainly with the the Colorado law that was trying to say, like, we specifically don't want police to be able to pressure EMTs, like, who knows what training records are being falsified because the interest of the police department or the sheriff's office is pushing issues and things like that. Right.
0: This is something that needs training. To me, if I were a big bad EMT running shit, I would almost think, like, If this is something that we're giving, oh, I don't know, 11,000 people a year, maybe we would have, like, a ketamine training day. Yeah. I don't
1: know. You would think that they would, but, I mean, there is the push now that, I mean, there's the push that is kind of a lukewarm thing where it's like, okay, well, we'll have it, but you have to jump through a lot of hoops to use it. Meanwhile, you have anesthesiologists who are like, it should be used as a last resort. We don't feel like it should right. be used, and it should only be used if somebody is a threat to themselves or to others, which when they're in handcuffs on the ground and they're already they're not being physically restrained, yeah.
0: They're no longer a threat. Stop
1: it. Yeah. It's, Stop it. It's fucked up, as <sighs> most things are. <laughs> And we keep talking about these poisons that are being used in like these systematically fucked up ways, so thanks for hanging in there, everybody. Valued listeners. (laughs) We really appreciate it. The next episode, if everything goes to plan, will be just one of those traditional one-on-one poisonings and not this (laughs) systematic poisoning that we have to say fuck the police again, even though I do enjoy saying. Fuck the police.
0: Fuck the police. Defund the police. Yes. Period.
1: (laughs) Well, do you have any final thoughts?
0: I don't know. I mean, my final thought is this is a bigger thing that I think more people should be talking about. Yeah. And I feel very strongly about that because it's something that has ramped up so much in the last handful of years Mm -hmm. that it's just going to become a bigger issue if it goes unchecked. Mm -hmm. and if people aren't talking about it so I don't know in my opinion if I were going to bat my eyelashes and kind of say hey share an episode or maybe recommend the podcast to somebody I might blink 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 say this one (laughs) and like the birth control episode if I'm gonna like ask for a favor from you guys
1: (laughs) yeah I think this is important and like I said earlier, it does hold a special place in my heart to talk about this because so many fucked up things have come out of the state that we live in. I mean, yeah. there's McLean and McKnight in Aurora. And then there's a handful of cases in Colorado Springs that have gotten like pretty big publicity and for good reason. So it's an issue that I do take personally and I do feel that more needs to be done. And there are people who are trying to do more, but there are also lawmakers who are just being really, like, lukewarm about it, like I said. And it's like, no, you guys need to do more because people are dying. And that's just it.
0: This, to me, is more critical than some conversations. Just because people are literally dying or Mm -hmm. people are having long-lasting effects years to come. And these things could be avoided. Yeah. Elijah McClain's death did not have to happen.
1: James Britt's death did not have to happen. No,
0: not at all. And so these things like it's not okay.
1: I think it's a good example of there needs to be more of a respect for the chemicals that we use in our lives. And we can not just willy nilly be using it to manipulate and control each other, which when it boils down to it, that's really the story of every poisoning is that somebody was trying to manipulate and control somebody else. But when it's being done on this large of a scale, like we made it so that arsenic and strychnine are harder to access. We need to make ketamine harder to access.
0: Right. The use isn't warranted in so many cases. So why do we keep using it mm-hmm. when more people are dying? Like, And I knew it was a problem primarily just because of the Elijah McLean case. That was when I had first heard about ketamine being used by law enforcement personally. Right. Until this episode, I had zero idea of how prevalent it was. It's got to stop. Well,
1: on that note, stay safe, fuck the police, and we'll see you guys next time. Fuck the police. Peace. (laughs)
0: Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and review us wherever you get your podcasts.
1: For more Lethal Dose content, you can find us at Lethal Dose Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. For an overdose of content, subscribe on Patreon for exclusive episodes and much more. The show theme is Look Far by our dear wizard friend Fog Weaver. More of their music can be found on bandcamp.com. Lethal
0: Dose is created, researched, produced, and edited by Kayla Woods and Venus Dineko. Stay safe, and remember, the dose makes the poison.